0: Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more information at DesertCityChurch.com. We are on week nine, the final week of Words to Live By, the series that we've been doing. And uh, every week we've been kind of hitting a popular Bible verse and taking a look at, what's the context around it? What's really going on? In this verse. And so this week we're actually looking at um, one of the most misquoted Bible verses um, ever, according to YouVersion online. They said that this was one of the top three most misquoted verses. And the verse that we're gonna be looking at is Philippians 4.13. And um, Philippians 4.13, for me growing up, that was like my favorite verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It was kind of this verse of, like this pump-up verse for me. Like, yeah, I could do Oh, yeah, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It got me, like, jazzed. It got me jacked. I was excited about it. So, you know, you go into a test that you haven't studied for, and you're like, I'm going to ace this, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or I, I would go to a wrestling match, and I'm like, I'm gonna win my first wrestling match because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, and, I, and I almost started to believe it, and then after a long time of losing wrestling matches and not acing those tests, I started getting frustrated. It, it's the verse that you know, athletes even wear. I think one of the first athletes to wear this verse on their clothes was a Vander Holyfield. Does anyone know who that is? Okay, Vander Holyfield is the boxer who beat Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson bit his ear also, uh, if you remember that. But, but he, he comes out in this Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That means I can beat up Mike Tyson, right? <laughs> I can take Mike Tyson, and he did. He beat up Mike Tyson. And then he wore Philippians 4.13 when he, when he fought Lennox Lewis, and then he lost. Um, and so did it become untrue at that point? And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Philippians 4:13, look at what Paul is really saying. Um, but before, before we do that, I want to pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I, I just pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have for us today. Lord, that um, anything I say that's not of you um, would just be washed away. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so Paul, he's writing um, this letter to the Philippians, and he's writing it from a jail cell. And so w- what's going on in Philippians is he's, he's been in jail, and the Philippians have kind of been taking care of him. Been, they've been sending him food, they've been sending him money so that he can survive in jail. And so in writing this letter, he, he first he wants to thank the Philippians. He, he, he wants to say, look, thank you so much for what you guys have been doing for me for taking care of me while I was in jail. But then also, he wants to to show them Jesus. He wants them to see how satisfying, how good Jesus is. And so towards the end of of his letter, in chapter four, um, he's kind of getting towards these closing remarks. He's getting towards this ending part, and he starts in verse 10, and he says this. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So he says, look, I, I, I was rejoicing in God that you guys were concerned about me, that you were worried about me being in jail. He says, look, you, you had no opportunity to show me your concern because I was in jail. Like, I, you couldn't get to me because I was in jail, but I, I know that you were concerned for me, and I think I was thanking God that you were. And then he continues on, and he says this, I am not saying this because I am in need. So he says, I'm not saying this because I need more stuff. Like, you don't need to send me more stuff. He says, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It sounds a little different when we read it in context, right? Because it's so in our nature to want to make it about us. It's so in our nature to say, yeah, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ. That means, that means God is going gonna to let me win, and God is going to give me money, and God is going to make me successful. And, and what Paul's really saying is almost something completely different. It's not that we can get rich through Christ. He's saying, we're already rich in Christ. He's not saying we can win because of Christ. He says, we've already won because of what Christ has done for us. What Paul is really saying is, he's saying, I can endure any situation, all things, because of Christ who gives me strength. Um, Do you guys realize that God is most glorified in our lives when we are most satisfied, most content in him. Um, I'll give you an example of this. Let's say it was my wife and I's anniversary. Um, We've been married for three years and let's say she comes home from work and there I am with flowers in my hand. And I say to her, Sarah, nothing would bring me greater joy than to spend tonight with you. Nothing would make me happier than to take you out tonight and, and just spend all night with you. Now, no woman, nor Sarah, would ever say, that is so selfish. <laughs> it would bring you joy. It would make you happy. Because the truth is, when, when I find satisfaction in my wife, it, it brings her honor. It's not a selfish thing. It's, it's a thing that actually brings her honor. And the same is true with God. When we find satisfaction in God, when we find contentment in God, it brings him honor. It brings him glory. Um, in 2002, Chris Tomlin came out with a hit song. Um, and we, you probably sang it every week in church if you were in church from like 2003 to 2007. Uh, it's the song called Enough. And in that song... He uses these lyrics. He says, all of you is more than enough for all of me. For every thirst, for every need, you satisfy me with your love. And all I have is in you is more than enough. I didn't even have to look at it because I know it. <laughs> right? We sing these songs um, and, and, and we, we proclaim these things. That you, like, all, you are more than enough for me. You are, you're all I need. You, like, you satisfy me. Nothing else satisfies me. And we sing these things. And oftentimes our life doesn't match. Our life doesn't look like that, like God is all satisfying, like God is is all we need to be content, like God is so fulfilling. And so what I want to do this morning is kind of take a look at how do we do it? How do we live a life of fulfillment in in Christ? How do we figure it out? What Paul says in, in this chunk of verses is he says, He's learned the secret. He's learned how to do it. So it's something that that he at once didn't know, but he went through this process of learning, and now he knows how to do it. He says, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I have learned the secret to being content in any and every situation. And so what I want us to do is, is figure out what is the secret to satisfaction in Christ? What's the secret to contentment in Christ? Um, I think the first secret of of satisfaction in Christ is seeing Jesus as a treasure. If we see Jesus as a treasure, uh, you guys know the, or maybe not, but uh, Jesus tells a parable of, of a treasure buried in a field. In Matthew, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like A treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. He says, "Look, the kingdom of God, God, I, Jesus, am so much of a treasure that it would be a joy for you to to give up everything in order to get that treasure." Do we experience Christ as such a treasure? (laughs) that it would be a glad transaction for us to give up everything we have for him? Is it really a happy trade-off? Is, is God really that valuable to us? Do we see him as a treasure? See, Bill Gates is the richest person on earth. right? He's been the richest guy on earth for a long time. Does anyone know? have a guess how much money he has? He's got $86 billion dollars. Okay, 86 billion. Uh, We can't even begin to quantify how much money that is. With 86 billion dollars, you could pave a road to the moon and back 14 times with one dollar bills. Okay, with 86 billion dollars, you would have to spend five million dollars every day to spend it by the end of your life. Some of you would have to spend 10 (laughs) if you're a little older. (laughs) Okay, so let's say Bill Gates come in, comes in here, and he and he says, "Look, I want to give you all of it, all 86 billion dollars. It's yours." And he writes a check for 86 billion and he hands it to you. Okay, imagine the feeling that you would have holding this check of 80. Like this is, this is unbelievable. 86 billion. Like hopefully you tied it because then we'll be we'll be doing good. Um, but $86 billion, I mean, that's unbelievable. And then, let's say after church, so he hands this check to you in church. After church, you walk out to the parking lot and you see that your car is gone. And you realize someone has stolen your car. At that point, what do you do? You throw up your hands and you're like, well, today was horrible. This stinks. No, what would most likely happen is you would see your car gone, and you would say, oh well, <laughs> I got $86 billion. I don't care. Like, what, my 2007 Honda Civic is gone? I have $86 billion. It does not matter. You see, when, when we see Christ as such a treasure like this, suddenly it becomes easier to become content in all situations. Whether good things are happening or bad things are happening, I still got my 86 billion. I still got this treasure in my hands. You see, men and women throughout the Bible have experienced this. They've they've treasured Christ like this. In Habakkuk chapter 3, Habakkuk writes Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's, He makes me tread on high places. So here's Habakkuk, and he says Look, all of the crops are dying. If, if, if we wake up and all the crops are just gone, and, and not only that, but all the animals that we're raising to eat, those are gone too. If everything goes bad, if we are literally starving to death, there's nothing for us left. He says, I'm still going to rejoice in the Lord. There's no conditions for me to rejoice in God. It's not if he gives me stuff, then I'm going to rejoice. It's I don't care whether I have it or not. I still have God. And that's what I'm gonna rejoice in. That's why Paul, earlier in this letter to the Philippians, in chapter three, he says this But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. He says, look, everything else in comparison is just garbage. Like I, I, will, I would gladly lose all things because the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, of, of having this relationship with my God, is so great that everything else, the word garbage literally means dung. It's just, it's just poop compared to knowing Jesus and loving Jesus. And so do we see Jesus as that treasure? The second thing, then, the secret of satisfaction in Christ is is that we get to fix our eyes on that treasure. So not not only do we see God as a treasure, but now we fix our eyes upon that treasure. I I think oftentimes I need to come back and ask myself this question, where are my eyes fixed? What am I looking at? I think so often I, I start out okay, I want to be focused on Jesus. I want to fix my eyes on Jesus. And I start out looking at him, and then I have this like spiritual ADD where all of a sudden I'm like, what, what is that over there? I saw some, what is that over there? Well, Jesus, hold on, I got, there's something over here that I'm looking at now. What is that? And so what happens is we, we tend to get these idols. When I say the word idols, I Like when I hear the word idols, I automatically think of like a golden statue of a cow, or I think of like some guy at home like praying to like a little shrine in his house of a bunch of different weird statues. It's not really what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is that there's this desire that we have in our hands, And, and this desire might not be inherently bad. It might not be something that's you know biblically wrong. But what begins to happen. As we begin to close our fingers around the desire. And we begin to hold it tighter and tighter. And it becomes a non-negotiable. We begin to say, God, you, you do whatever you want. I will do whatever you want, God. But you just can't touch this thing. Like this thing is mine. You cannot have this thing. And so you do whatever you want. Like I will, I will go wherever you want, I'll do whatever you want but this one thing, I need this. This is a non-negotiable for me. Don't touch it. The problem is when we have these idols, we oftentimes just want to ignore it. Um, Some of you might know I have a kind of big fear of sunburn. Might be a strange thing, but I'm a ginger bearded fella and (laughs) I get burned pretty easy. And, And as a kid, I got a lot of sunburns and it was horrible. And now all the kids have swim shirts, which, you know, wasn't really a cool thing back in the day. And so I got a ton of sunburns. And so I I eventually, I'm so afraid of sunburn now that I'll, I'll like, reapply every 10 minutes. Um, I'm, I'm like, a big freak about it. But a couple years ago, I got a sunburn um, on my shoulders, which is the worst spot, I think. Um, And I I remember thinking, okay, maybe if I just don't ever look at it. Like, maybe if I just, and so what I do, I literally did this. I was in college, I, I didn't change my shirt for three days. I put a shirt on, and I just like pretended it wasn't there. And so I probably smelled horrible, but I, I kept this shirt on because if I took it off and I saw it, then it was like real, and it was there. And, and then I started like thinking about it all the time and started worrying about it. And, and So I just wouldn't look at the sunburn. I think the, our, our problem with idols is like my problem with sunburn is, is that so often we just want to pretend like they're not there. We just want to pretend like, yeah, it's fine. It's no big deal. I'll just hide the hand behind my back, and we'll, just, we'll be good. And the truth is, we really need to take a hard look at our lives, take a hard look at our idols. We need to kind of admit what's going on in our lives. We've got to wrestle with these things with God. We need to ask, where are my eyes fixed? What have I, what have I been looking at? Um. I think what's, what's crazy is when we fix our eyes on Jesus, something incredible starts to happen. Um, I have a little video up here. It's a little test. And I'm, I'm wanting everyone to participate in this test. And you're going to count how many times the basketball players wearing white pass the basketball. How All many right. passes did how you How many count? passes? Anyone? 15, 16, 13? How many was it? It was. The correct answer is 15 passes. All right. Here's the crazy thing. Did you see the gorilla? gorilla? Who saw the gorilla? Raise your hand. Oh wow, (laughs) a lot of you. All right. Who missed the gorilla? Who was counting passes and completely missed it? Okay. There's a few of you. So what this is called? It's called the selective attention test. And what happens is you get so focused. Usually, I don't know why everyone here saw the gorilla. It's like pretty crazy. I've done this a lot of times. And usually people don't see the gorilla. But what, what's supposed to happen, I guess, is that you are so focused on watching these guys in the white shirts pass the ball back and forth, and you're so focused on counting and making sure you don't miss one, that this, this gorilla comes by in the background, and you just completely miss it. It's, it's selective attention. It's, this is why they say that like, motorcycles are more dangerous. Is because everyone's looking for a car when they're out on the road. And that when, you, when you're not looking for a motorcycle, they kind of disappear. It's harder to see because you're not looking for it. And the thing is, when we begin to fix our eyes on Jesus, the, the gorillas of life tend to, to fade into the background. They tend to become smaller and, and, and suddenly fade out of our vision. The the hard things of life begin to not seem so hard because our eyes are focused on Jesus. Um, The third really secret to satisfaction in Christ uh, is just experience. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. He says, look, I've had two experiences. I've I've been in this place where I am starving, where I, where I need stuff. And I know what it is to, to live like wealthy, to, to live where I have more than enough. I have this experience of suffering, and I have an experience of an abundance. And because of those experiences, I know how to be content in Christ. Job, um, when we talk about suffering, Job is always the first one to come up. Because for Job, in a matter of moments, his whole life fell apart. In a matter of moments, Job's business collapsed, he goes bankrupt, his marriage goes south, his children die, he contracts some pretty horrible diseases, and Job responds by saying, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, I'm not saying Job didn't wrestle. I mean, Job struggled. He wrestled with God. He was super upset at times. At times, he, did, he was just crying out, what is going on? At times, he, he was fighting. At times, it, it was just horrible for him. But in the end, Job finds his true satisfaction, not in the stuff, but in the Lord. There's something special, I think, that happens in our suffering that connects us to the God who suffered the ultimate price for us. There's a, there's a connection there that when we suffer, we join in Christ's sufferings for us. And then There's a man who really has kind of an opposite story. It's King Solomon. The Bible says that King Solomon was wealthier than any other man, any other king. He had it all. He had power and success and money, Whatever he wanted, it was his. And, it, and in the end, he says, it didn't really mean anything. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. He says, look, I had it all. Whatever I wanted, I had it. But without God, it was meaningless for me. It meant nothing to me without God. Uh, John Piper, a pastor, kind of captures this sentiment. He says this, when we have little and have lost much, Christ comes and reveals himself as more valuable than what we have lost. And when we have much and are overflowing in abundance, Christ comes and he us, shows us that he is far superior to everything we have. Far superior to everything we have. The truth is, I may become rich. I, I probably will not be. I will probably. But I may become real poor. I. I may have great health or I may get sick. I, the next year of my life might be full of laughter or it might be full of tears. But whatever happens, God is where I find my contentment. God is where I find my, my satisfaction. It's not about our circumstances. It's, it's Christ who gives us strength. That's where our satisfaction is found. See, whatever situation we find ourselves in, God is still on the throne, and he still loves us. And that's eternal. Sometimes when we take this eternal perspective, the, the things that happen to us here and now begin to seem a little smaller. I think Elizabeth Elliot was the one who said that the secret to contentment in Christ is is Christ in me, not me, in a different set of circumstances. The Secret to contentment is Christ in me, not me, in a different set of circumstances. You see, God, he came and he put himself on the cross for us. He, He took our sin. He took the punishment that we deserved. And that is a treasure that we ought to be fixing our eyes on. And then when we experience the hard things in life, and when it feels like everything is slipping away, we still have God. We still have Christ. We still have the ultimate forever living with him. And when we have the good things of life happen, when we uh, you know, have great relationships, and when we're making money, and when we're winning, and when things are going really well, that's all great. Great. But guess what? God is even better. He's superior to everything we have. So as the band comes back up, um, we're going to go into a time of communion. And what we are celebrating, what we're remembering in communion is that we find our satisfaction in him. We find our satisfaction in him because he counted... Equality with God in heaven, something not to be held on to, but, but he poured himself out for us. And, and he took the bread, he broke it, and he said, that, that's his body broken for us. And he took the, the juice, the wine, he poured it, and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. And, and so whatever happens to you from here on out, you can be sure that you have me be sure that you have my body and you have my blood and and your sin is taken care of and your eternity is taken care of. And so whatever happens to you in the next 40, 50, 60 years here on earth, eternity is ahead. And I have that taken care of for you. And so uh, I'm going to pray. Just ask God that he would uh, continue to allow us to find satisfaction in him alone. Lord, we sing that you satisfy us, we sing that it's, it's, you are more than enough for us, and that we need nothing else. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We can suffer all things through you who strengthen us. We can succeed in things and still be satisfied in you who strengthen us. God, I pray that you would help us to see you as a treasure, the ultimate treasure, better than any amount of money, better than any gift that we could give, Lord, you gave us eternal life, you gave us salvation, you gave us your own life, Lord, I pray that we would see that for the gift it is, that we would fix our eyes upon that gift, upon you, And that as we go through the hard things of life and the good things of life, that we would continue to to speak your praises, to continue to rejoice in you. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.